Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Vincent Green. And I'm your host, Noel John Tui. We got Cara Mack in the back, and this is MDK Presents, Larry Hankin. Larry, please tell the people who you are and what you do. Uh, well, I'm Larry Hankin, and I'll do anything that uh, pays well, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but mainly, I, I guess I'm a, I'm a performer, is, is what I yeah. think I am. And basically, I think I'm a storyteller. That, that's really what I am. Uh, but I can do acting. I can. Yes, you can. But I, but yeah. I don't. I don't. It's not a preference. But I, I do it. You know, because it, it's fun. It, it is fun. Was acting something that you fell into because it was like something you realized you had a natural um, talent for and you were good at, or because you had a, a passion for it? Or do you, do you see that like acting is your first choice, or would you prefer to have been a written storyteller? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I got into performing. I didn't think about it at all until I graduated college. So I, I, show business or performing or anything like that. I was I went to industrial design. I, I studied industrial design. I got a degree in industrial design. So show business wasn't anywhere near me. Uh, but I was a, in my top third, I guess. I was a top three student in industrial design. Syracuse University. So they sent me to Detroit to, to design cars, to be interviewed at, at representing the, the Syracuse. And these are one of our students. We have good students. You should hire them. So I went as a rep, me and two other guys, uh, because I was a good student. And there were three other uh, colleges who also had. So there's a group of nine of us, I think. And when I got to where I thought the school was going to send me or where I was about to go to design cars in Detroit, I didn't like the place. I mean, thank, thank goodness they, they sent me there. So I, I got a preview of what I was going to do. And I said, no, I, I wanted to be an artist. See, these are my paintings. I, I'm a painter. Uh, so I, I, I got... The word design, industrial design, that was the thing. Design, oh, art. I mean, I was totally naive. So my best friend was Carl Gottlieb in college, and he... Of Jaws fame. Mm. What? Carl Gottlieb of Jaws fame. Exactly. I mean, he was my best friend in college, and all he wanted to do was write. So he asked me, he said, well, where are you going? And we were going to graduate at the same time, but he, he was a writer. So he said, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm not going to Detroit. That's that's where they got me headed. And I don't want to go there. It's, it's, uh, it's all stiff and suits and stuff. So he said, well, I'm going to Greenwich Village uh, to, to get a writing job in a newspaper in New York. That's how I'll start. So I said, well, why don't we share an apartment? Uh, he said, well, what will you do? I said, I don't know. I mean, I'd rather starve than go to Detroit. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> Man of your word. <laughs> I went to Greenwich Village and I starved uh, for about three months. I mean, literally, I, I was uh, the only job I could get, um, you know, immediately to pay rent with Carl was uh, to uh, get a, a job um, uh, cleaning duck boards in a bar from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. after last call. I, they would lock me in the bar and I had to clean the bar, uh, peanut shells and scrub the duck boards and everything. And um, so I was uh, purloining, uh, borrowing, uh, taking food from their locker's bar and grill. 
<laughs> that's how I was feeding myself. I was, you know, wearing a raincoat every day to work, every night to work. And, and would, this to you was still better than what you had Oh, man, I never looked back. Yes. I, I, you know, <laughs> how I, bad is the trade? It was fine with me. <laughs> it was fine with me. Carl was my friend. I had a place to sleep. I, I was getting food. Uh, I would steal rashers of bacon and soup, uh, cans of soup and vegetables. Uh, but then after two weeks, um, I thought they would start to see food was starting to be missing from, the, you know, the refrigerator and stuff. So I quit. Uh, I mean, just because I didn't want to get caught. I mean, I thought I got to get, got to stay ahead of this. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. Game, yeah. But but while I was waiting to go to work for the two weeks, I had my nights and days free. I kind of slept, you know, a little during the day, but. I had my nights free waiting to go to work and the bar was in Greenwich Village and so were all these coffee houses. There was about 10 or 15 coffee houses within about three or four blocks. So they had open mic nights and I would sit there, you know, I'd go get a cup of coffee and wait until I had to go to work at two. So I saw these uh, stand-up comedians on, on the stage. You know, you get three minutes, three to five minutes and I, I can, I'm, I'm a funny guy. I won funniest in high school two years oh, ago. Oh, you just robbed me of a question, Larry, and I'm not, oh, I'm not impressed. I prepared like three questions. <laughs> and one so of them was about, one, yeah. Well, well, after I finish this answer, then we can leave, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Another <laughs> app. Uh, so I, I thought, you know, hey, I'm a funny guy. I can do that for at least three to five minutes, but uh, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, telling jokes to your high school friends is not like standing on a stage and trying no. to make an audience laugh. It's totally different. Um, I was a fast learner because I was I was funny. So, I mean, I could pick up on the rhythms and stuff. So after about, um, I don't know, about six months, um, I got an... Um, Woody Allen's manager came in. He said, you want a manager? I said, yeah. And he started booking me. And I was opening for Woody Allen uh, after six months. And then I was in show business. Boom. You know, uh, so I was a funny storyteller. And from there, uh, I got into critical thinking kind of comedy. You know, Lenny Bruce, uh, Richie uh, Pryor, Car George Carlin, you know, that kind of Bill yeah. Burr nowadays. So. Um, I wasn't ready for that. I was just, I was just learning. I was just, you know, trying to get better and better at my craft. So I was into critical thinking, humor, you know, that uh, sex rocks, uh, sex, sex, <laughs> sex, rock and roll, religion, yeah. politics, you know, things that you kind of weren't supposed to talk about. And I, I was getting uh, pulled off by the cops. I was being thrown people were throwing stuff at me guys came at me with beer bottles get the fuck off the stage whoa i'm a middle class jewish kid i just you know <laughs> cleaning a bar a couple of months ago i wasn't ready for it at all i mean it just blew my mind you know cops coming down and the state of humor you took on did you were you influenced by your contemporaries like uh lenny bruce like, uh, oh yeah, Curry. man! I, I was yeah. I was I was going to Lenny Bruce's show. He was still working when I started. You know, watching, just sitting in the coffee houses, just saying, "Hey, I could do that." Lenny Bruce was playing Basin Street West down the block, so I could <laughs> go from there, and I would go in to see Len Lenny. So 
I saw him a lot. And then years later when I got in the committee and he played Basin Street West, uh, that was only 10 blocks away from the committee theater where I was working. So I would go down to see him and this was like uh, two, three years later and he was in his prime then. This was like 61, 62, 63. So he was hot. He was making records. He was popular. Mm. He was being pulled off the stage by cops. But it was news. When I get pulled off the stage, you know, <laughs> back in the day, no news at all. I just get off the stage, you know. <laughs> so he was very popular. I went to see him. And then uh, he played... Uh, Basin Street West. I was in the committee for 10 years. So he played Basin Street three times in those 10 years. And I went to see him each time. And each time I saw him in his, in his prime, very popular. Now he's into drugs. Cops are busting him. He's getting, and his timing is getting a little off. And then I saw his last performance ever in his life. Uh, and they recorded it. They, um, they filmed it. It was amazing. They, they, they saw my best friend, one of my best friends had an advertising agency in San Francisco. And he would come to the committee all the time. He would use us in commercials. So he was a big friend of Lenny Bruce and he, he hung around with him and he saw what was happening to Lenny and, and his health and his drugs and everything like that. Mm. And when he saw that Lenny was booked at Basin Street West, he thought this is, he ain't going to last. This is so he said, Lenny, let me do a, um, a, a documentary of your last night there. So they booked the last night to make the documentary. I went, he told me, you know, we're going to make a documentary. And it was really sad because nobody came. I mean, you know, Ooh. Lenny, the, the... Oh, I was expecting that there'd be a bit of tragedy in that story, but nobody coming <laughs> is out of left field completely. If you give me a thousand guesses, because Lenny was so... I think... 10 people were in the audience and Lenny came with books and, 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 uh, court documents. And he knew it was a documentary, but he still wanted to do his act, even though he was, you know, overweight. And so, uh, what happened was, uh, the sum total was, it was like the, the performance. You can see the documentary. I've seen the documentary twice. Uh, I don't, I don't know what it's called. But anyway, there's a documentary. And what it was, was a documentary of Don Quixote trying to prove he was sane. It was just sad, man. Uh, but he tried to make it funny. That, that was the sadness yeah. that he was trying That's to make the gift his of a comedian to the audience, to the, you know, he knew it was his last shot at getting his story out. So he wanted for that hour, hour and a half of the documentary, he wanted to get all his stuff out there, which he did, but it was in such a dishabille. <laughs> you know, you, you were there in the audience for this night. Excuse me. You were there. Sorry, is that what you said? I was there for the for the whole thing, and I was his friend, man, because he used to come to the committee to see the show. He was booked for a month, and that was the last night of the month, right? That he was going to go, and then he he died soon after that. But he would come to the committee to hang out because we were funny. I mean, you know, it, just, it was a show, you know, he would come to see me or us like we came to see him. So he would hang out afterwards. You know, I used to go for walks with him and, you know, so it was, this is a friend of mine, somebody I knew. I, he wasn't my friend, but I mean, somebody I Acquaintance. knew. Acquaintance. 
you know, and, yeah. and somebody I knew. So to see him up there and I was a stand up comedian. So I knew what he was going through. I knew what he was trying to do, you know, and I had, I had known his act. So he was doing old stuff that was, was killer. And then it wasn't, and there was nobody there. How so, long was it that, that you were doing stand up comedian uh, comedy before you started to branch out into acting? It seems so like a natural part, process, doesn't it? You see funny people fall into movies. Well, I graduated, I was opening for Woody. Okay, so from the time I left the coffee houses, that was in 1960, late part of 60, uh, only a year. <laughs> a year, and then I got into critical thinking, comedy. Yeah. And they, the cops were pulling me off after about a, between a year and a year and a half. And I called my manager, which is Jack Rollins, Woody's manager. And I said, I can't do this, man. <laughs> and, he said, and I said, they're, they're, they're pulling me off the stage. They're booing me. I mean, sometimes I would have, you know, you would even, I like I was opening for the Kingston Trio. Uh, <laughs> they, they booed me off the stage. Uh, yeah. I was opening for Miles Davis. I, you know, I killed. I was great. They they loved me. Uh, Miles Davis wanted me to tour Europe with him, but I didn't want to leave the States. I thought my my big shot would be in America. So, uh, but so were you playing better to uh, crowds of color than to white audiences at this stage? And do you think that's because of the civil unrest? At the time where you were kind of anti-establishment in terms of your style of humor, their uh, mood at the time with the civil rights movement, they were very anti-establishment. Do you think they just kind of equated your style of humor with the angst they were feeling against the government at the time? Well, it was like what's going on in America today. I mean, only this is, you know... Why, is there something going on in America today? <laughs> now it's the 60s that didn't work. The, yeah. The 60s that didn't work. It's a good way of putting it. The exact pattern. So then, yes, but but it was like a whole thing in the United States in the 60s. So I was just part of get off the stage, don't say that, and don't say this, and don't say the other Toward thing. the line. It was just a whole, they didn't care. I, I wasn't a, uh, I, when I was a stand-up comedian, I wasn't a hippie stand-up comedian. I was dressed in a, a, a suit or, you know, or nice clothes. Uh, and I did the Playboy circuit. I mean, that certainly was anti, wasn't anti established. No, I'd imagine now. not. No. <laughs> oh, there. But once <laughs> I started to branch out and just playing like the, 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 the set middle of the country or, you know, yeah. Just, or well, the South, it was just, hey, man, boo, get off, you know. So how long was I there? So a year and a half. And then I called. My and my manager, I said, I can't do this. This is not what I was, uh, you know, born to do. I yeah. wasn't born to be booed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's not interior design, industrial is. design, or I being booed. Be booed. We've knocked those two things off. So he said, join the uh, join Second City, which is doing the same things as Lenny and Pryor and Carlin, but they own the theater, so they'll throw out the guys with the beer bottles and the fists. Okay, so. <laughs> I said, great. So I auditioned for Second City. In Chicago, is it? In, uh, no, in New York. They had New York. opened a theater in New York. I auditioned. And then they sent me to St. Louis. And we were a big smash hit in St. Louis for a year. And so uh, Second City Chicago, the, the owners, came down 
uh, Paul Sills came down to see what the hell are they doing down there that they're <laughs> over for a year. We were in a nightclub, so that, being held over for a year is a big deal. So he came down and he took me and another guy, Jack Burns, who wrote eventually uh, Hee Haw. I don't know if you know that show, but he wrote that after he, after uh, St. Louis. So I went up to sh uh, Chicago and I was in Second City for about three months and then there was just too many people in the company. So last hired, first fired. There was like nine people. You can only do six. Five or six, yeah. that's the best. If you don't get enough time on the stage, you get bored. You know, This yeah. is improv, is it, Larry? Yeah, so so I a couple of us, uh, five or six or seven of us, the director, his wife, and five actors, we split. Some of some of them had already left, but he got them. So we got five Second City people, and we went to San Francisco and we opened our own Second City. We called it the Committee, and our only aim was to be as big as Second City. That was the only. <laughs> reason for our existence you know, hey we're, we're you know because we all wanted to quit i was fired or, or last hired you know first fire so i was not I've doing anything furloughed we call it now because we think it's a softer word but furloughed. what do you, what do you call it furloughed have you not heard oh, that word yeah exactly. people mean furloughed it's because it doesn't sound as harsh <laughs> yeah uh, yes so i'm gonna use that okay so i was furloughed we were about three or four of us who had been furloughed so we went to <laughs> and we opened up and uh and son of a gun uh in in two years we were as big or bigger than chicago we were a tourist attraction in san francisco that's so that was really great but we uh, were in proximity to hollywood so here comes the answer to your question yeah. it's cheaper to fly to san francisco for in the 60s 35 dollars round trip flight from la to san francisco and you could bring your cocaine and your guns with you as well right hey your diseases whatever you want whatever you want to come on, come on. <laughs> so, uh, they would fly up uh from hollywood you know the casting people and the directors and it was entertainment you know hey let's fly mm -hmm. up 35 bucks we'll take the kids blah 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 we'll see the golden gate have a few laughs go home Okay, and then when they got back, they would call, hey, you know, the get the short guy or the fat guy or the funny guy or the tall guy. Come on down, do a sitcom. So we would fly down, fly back. So now we had like an extra income. So we were improvisers, but we were doing sitcoms and it'd come back for a week. And in improvisation, that's really easy because, you know, somebody comes in and improvises your part. So it changes, big deal, improv. <laughs> This you know, is what I'm talking. You go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> 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 saying that. <laughs> if I could just... Yeah, well, now that you didn't have to go, <laughs> you would re improvise yourself back into the semblance of, you know, it was great. It was really yeah. fun and challenging. Can I ask you, Larry, because I'm trying to picture you kind of in your stand-up years, and I, I can picture you as being uh, the second Kramer on Seinfeld, you know, doing the levels. And uh, I can picture uh, Mr. Hinckley, of course, who could have birds. Were you more, because I always pictured you as a deadpan guy when I was growing up as a kid. Exactly. You, know, you got so, it. But was a deadpan, cause, but I've seen you be very energetic and goofy as well. And there are two, like, was your stand-up comedy somewhere in the middle of these two kind of opposites, or were you just a deadpan guy? Because you are... Good at deadpan, man. You were one of the yeah, greats. Okay. Uh, if I say Buster Keaton, would that ring a bell? Yes, of course. The one, the big, the, the best physical well, comedy was, actor of all time. Was, that was what I was doing. 
I mean, I was uh, direct steel. I said, Mr. Heckles is probably Buster uh, Keaton, you know, <laughs> angry guy who just keeps it all in, but it uh, leaks out, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was a, that was a, and that was an acting choice, but that's really not an acting choice. That's a stand-up comedian's choice or a film buff's choice. An acting's choice has a backstory where you have, you know, the internal. No, that's just hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no backstory. Just taking inspiration it from someone. It worked for the character, and I knew that. And I had many fights, uh, you know, later on about characters because I don't know how to act. I just become, you know, I just do it. You know, yeah. to do something, and I just do. It's an instinctive thing. I can't. Too much thinking gets me mixed up. You know. And is that why you were always like? Did you ever want to have that really grounded law? Like, I know, like, you were a bit pissed off with friends when you were kind of written out of the second season or first season or whatever it was. Um, but did you want to have that grounded role that you could sink your teeth into? Or did you like the nomad? Because your IMDb list reads like a thesaurus. Wow. Did you man. like have, being kind of freelancing like that? Or did you want to, like, have a role and you could be this Kramer, you could be whichever type of character in a series for 10 years? Vinny, that's a that's a good question he just asked. That's really <laughs> thank you, Vinny. That was a good question really I just asked. Yeah. I love how surprised he was. But is it this or is it that? No, it it, it was the, the first time I developed. I saw that I was good at what I was doing. This this blank, this stone face, this Buster Keaton thing. So what I did about I would say fifteen years ago from now. 15 years ago, I decided to be a grounded character. I just wanted to be one character because I said, oh, wait a minute, you know, Buster Keaton was Buster Keaton all his life. Charlie yeah. Chaplin was the little tramp all his life until he hit Mr. Verdue, but that was because he was just too old to be the little tramp. Yeah, so I said, physical, I, the physical aspect. Be a, a standard clown, you know, like Emmett Kelly, you know, just one. Just one. So I saw my, my hair was getting a little flecks of gray, you know, a little salt and pepper. Yeah, and I yeah. Thought, okay, now's the time to get the character. So I invented one uh, off of Mr. Heckles, kind of, you know, but my own. I uh, call him Emmett, Emmett Demas. Uh, and that's what I do now. And I've been doing for the last five or 10 years on my own with the, with the money I earn as an actor. I make little film shorts, and I have them up on uh, my. They're all they're all over the web. Uh, Actually, this would be a good this would be a good moment to just plug that. Just yeah. where where would we find something like that? Oh well, well that would be uh, therealarryhankin.com. If you got that's my website. So if okay. you go to realarryhankin.com, you find my paintings. I have like forty of these paintings. They're very expensive. They're museum quality. I mean, you can put those in. I've, I've been looking at the one that's on stage left, my left. That's beautiful. I'd love, yeah. Oh, that's the favorite. That's everybody's favorite, you know. And then yeah. there's, I have an elephant, which I should, I should bring my. They're all on t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, you can go to uh, my website and you can order t-shirts. They're only like I don't know, twelve dollars or something. Like that. We'll take a break in a, in a little bit. We'll take a break, like five minutes. Or you, you should grab us one of these t-shirts or something for the second half, and you can just show it off a little bit. Oh, oh, oh okay, fine. Uh, so I developed a guy named Emmett, and I made these little. Uh, 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 film shorts. The film shorts are called Emmett Demas or Emmett or 
you, you can get them on, you don't have to go to the website. You can get them on just on the internet. It's uh, the outlaw Emmett Demus, the outlaw Emmett Demus, D-E-M-U-S. Yeah. Uh, E-M-M-E-T-T, Emmett Demus. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. So um, I developed that character and, and he's a homeless guy, just like Charlie Chaplin was a homeless guy. Yeah. Nobody ever, nobody ever thinks of Charlie Chaplin. They go, oh, the little tramp. He was homeless. Okay. <laughs> That's what everybody is here. Everybody here is homeless, by the way. I live in homeless city. Every, there's tents all around here. I'm, I'm by the beach. Really? All by the beach. Oh, it's amazing. It's a, uh, yeah. It's so, and I saw that coming too. So I said, well, you know, gray hair and homeless that's what's coming so let's do this <laughs> so uh yeah so uh, i have this homeless uh, guy in emmett and uh, I, I, so that's the answer to your question yeah i saw it coming and i started to develop on my own but i also started only to take old older roles uh from 1975 late 70 early 70 75 to 80s I started only choosing uh, homeless roles or old roles where my hair was getting started to get gray so I could play older. So uh, slightly yeah, damaged I, people, like slightly a little bit, a little bit cocky or a little bit something to bounce uh, off. Quirky, the, uh, quirky, yeah. But, but they weren't, but yeah. Hollywood doesn't write quirky. They don't even know what quirky is or what it means. <laughs> I, I, because I got a lot, no, he's too quirky. I would be refused jobs. Uh, what is this meeting has upgraded by the yep. okay things come on my screen um so uh i was uh i just lost my train of thought but uh anyway that quirky that, you were saying that hollywood doesn't know how to write quirky and that oh, you were yeah, I, yeah, a lot of roles was... i wouldn't get when i asked my agent you know what why didn't i get that role you know so i could make an adjustment you know i, I was open to that. and he goes well they said you're too quirky or, or if I would write screenplays and send them in, I'd get back. It's too quirky. Everything was too quirky. I, what quirky? What is quirky? Fucking <laughs> real. That's what quirky is. Yeah, absolutely. Quirky and real. Are, they're the characters you always latch on to because people, I know a lot of people, Vinny included, are weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's a little off And that's yeah. what I love about them. Maybe yeah. human, homo sapien. I do homo yeah. sapien. Really? <laughs> yeah. I always think it's great. Like sometimes a central character needs to be like relatively normal, so that that could be the person that it all gravitates around that can keep it. And as long as you have that, you should you're able to have fun with the characters around it. Exactly. And I always, exactly. Yeah, and I always thought you can have a lot of zany character. You can just yeah. So too too quirky. I, I, I unless you were like literally swinging from the chandelier in the edition or something. I, I don't no, see no, what no, too, I, mean, just, I don't know what too quirky is. If you pick your nose, you're quirky. <laughs> fucked straight out <laughs> fucked <laughs> yeah, no, once if, if, if you have uh, if your clothes are really creased a lot that's quirky I mean come on man you know if you don't comb your hair hey, come on you're quirky I, yeah. I just don't understand that I, I've if you want to go into me in Hollywood that's a whole other interview <laughs> don't get me started don't get me started. oh yeah no like i already want i want a part two <laughs> and it's just called like so hank and unleashed the, the best i did was i got a part 
which I loved, which was I played God who came, uh, it was a sitcom, no sitcom, <laughs> but I played God as a homeless man. So in other words, God has come down and he's like saving people and stuff. We're doing favors for people, but he's homeless. But, you know, it, it's God, really. Yeah. And I, I, I love that part. I had a beard and long gray hair. And it was, it was a great part. But that was kind of, and I, that was early on when I first started. I said, yeah, I'm going to just do this. These kinds of parts. Homeless old people. And I did. And... Uh, then I discovered I had dyslexia, uh, which I had known since I was a kid, but I didn't know what, what, what it was. Uh, but when I was around 45, I discovered there's a name for it. It's called dyslexia. And one of the things of dyslexia is it, uh, it in interferes with your memorization, with mem uh, 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 new memory, not 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 memorize you know memory. short term memory as opposed to long term memory what what short term memory as short -term opposed memory. to long term it's short term memory which is what learning you know lines for uh, yeah so you had a, it's, it's a learning disability you know it doesn't reflect on you as opposed to your intelligence no, oh, no, or your I creativity mean, you know, but it's a slight I, learning I know disability. my brain is cool but but uh, short term memory for memorizing lines i mean specifically so as the parts got bigger it became harder and harder for me to learn the part. So uh, the first thing that went out was Larry gets the script sooner or as soon as possible. That he is one of the first people to get the finished script. So that was fine. And as long as, long as I had a lead time to memorize, it was fine. But as the part started to get bigger and bigger, the lead time, I mean, we don't have enough lead time. You know, we wrote it this week, you're getting it a week ahead and you're shooting in a week. You only have a week. There's, there was no script before a week. So that wasn't enough time. So I started to turn down parts unless I can memorize them within the time given. That, that, that was all. I mean, I could, I could memorize. It was just, it took me a long time. So I finally quit. So about uh, four years ago, I just gave up my agents and my managers and I just said, hey, it's not worth my time. You know, I, I, I have other things I want to do. I want to write. Um, I have an income uh, from the, you know, residuals and stuff. Uh, so I, I can I can pay my rent and food, car payments. That's all I need. And gas. That's, you know, I got it down to that. And once I got it down to that and I started making my own movies and borrowing and doing favors and stuff, um, I started to see another thing. What a waste of money and things that the world, I, I guess, I, in other words, I, the world is changing now, you know, the weather, the warming and everything, the gas and blah, 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 and the water. And I understand. Yeah, we believe in all that stuff because we're European. <laughs> I, I understand why the world is in chaos right now. I mean, there's stuff that people buy that I have. In other words, if I have money, I'll buy some. If I don't have any money, I don't buy anything. And when I didn't buy it, I found out I didn't need it. And I didn't know yes. why I bought it in the first place. Yes. So as I, you know, kind of got my uh, my budget down, I started to see way. I, I There's the word waste. That That's what I started to see on a massive scale, not even locally, but on a worldwide scale. So um, 
I became a writer. I mean, that, that's what I do, a writer and a painter. And, other, and also the COVID thing, because I became sequestered. I had time in my house and I, 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 I got, I stopped having girlfriends. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just, like me too, on, on purpose. It's just, you know, <laughs> one and you just see them and it's fine and that's okay. But, you know, and the, the, the nightlife started to disappear because of the COVID thing. So with sitting in my house for two years because of the COVID thing in the United States and, you know, getting rid of all the, the waste and getting rid of Hollywood, man, I had a lot of time. I relaxed. I mean, it was just a different life. I have a different life now. I'm a different person now. So I just write and I make my own little films and I paint. And I'm going to, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm going to go out take the stuff that I've developed now over four years, all I have three screenplays and I'm, I'm writing a book right now. So that's the next thing. The book, I don't have a name for it, so I can't advertise it because I have to finish the book. So I know what I wrote. So I know what I call it. <laughs> but um, I got a, a working title. I can tell you that. I don't know if it works, but it's what I use. Um, uh, Larry Hankins, Sufi Tales of Hollywood. That's <laughs> Larry, Larry, all these years, you, you 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 literally have not slowed down at all, and you must be 52, 53 now. <laughs> See that works in a compliment. <laughs> Did you ever? You never. Like, Thank is, you. Do you think is it because you've done a lot of stuff that you love, or is it? Do you think this would have been you no matter what path your life would have taken? Is that your well, you and your it, personality? It's it's only me because I'm, I'm I only do what I like to do, and if I need, you know. I, I need to make money because uh, what I do is not available or what I like to do is not available. Like I'll, I'll take a part or I'll do a favor for somebody for money because I need money. Um, I, I'll do it, but I'll only do it until the, the money that I need is satisfied and then I'll quit. I mean, right. I, in other words, it's very narrow. I, I well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I was in the committee back in the seventies, back in the seventies, um, I was homeless. I was really homeless. I lived in my car for a year, and you see a lot when you're homeless. You you, yeah. you start to see what you didn't need at all, man. Okay, uh, once I I was homeless. Then now, um, I. Okay, what, what I'm trying to say is, I am used to, or I'm not, I do not fear poverty. So once right. you get there, you are free. I am free. I mean, I'm not poor. I got, I got a shelter, I got food, I can do what I want. But if it all disappears, I do not fear poverty. I got along very well, homeless. I could, you know, I want to do better. I, I worked my way out of it, but I saw what it was. I lived for a year in a car, you know, and I had, you know, things stolen because I tell you one thing, you learn a lot. When you are homeless, you own nothing. You only have things because- For the moment until that you don't have those things. It's going to be stolen. Yeah, short on your it's back, as that. people would say. Like, and, just and the, the more your back. dear it is to you, the more quickly it's going to be stolen because somebody's going to take more, it. Right. Yeah, the more dear it might be to somebody else by proxy. Like, 
like my guitar. My guitar kept me, you know, straight while I was homeless. I kept my guitar in my car. Well, well, what's going to be stolen? Two things are going to be stolen: my guitar and my battery. The car battery. So I had to go get another guitar and another battery.、It、took me a long time. I got another battery pretty quick、uh, because they're not. A, but a guitar is five hundred dollars. I, I, I'm a I'm a bass player myself, and it's not that my ba- like I I I have the best bass that I can afford. It's not particularly special, but it's mine. So having that taken, you take. I have a car outside; it could take the battery. I won't give a shit. But there's something I actually have a sentimentality around it. I've wrote a little few bits and bobs around that, and it, it'll it'll always be the bass I wrote them on. Ergo, if you took、exactly. the bass,、mm. it's not very taking something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just pour no, stuff. But if it took to, from to me, you, but it's something、yeah. from me. And if you take that, yeah, so you have things, and the only things you really know you have is the things that you have with you. And if you have other things that you've left behind, that is not your other things that you left behind. That's your second job. Well, who's watching my stuff while I'm away? You know, <laughs> somebody. Or you, so you're either worried about it, or you have to do a favor for the guy who's watching your stuff while you're away. So that's a job. That's that's you know you got to pay him back. It's payback. So I, you know, there's a lot of stuff I I learned about having things, and and so things to me are、uh, temporary and passing.、Yeah. You know, consequential. Yeah, yeah. No, some things are very consequential. You know,、mm-hmm. very. But I also understand if it's stolen, that's called life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a rude kind of、uh, piece of knowledge to have. You know, oh, that's called life. You know, if I told that to somebody, they, you know, say, "Get the fuck off the stage," or they come at me with a beer bottle. You know, try、mm-hmm. to make that funny to an audience who has a lot of stuff. It doesn't work. <laughs> In other words, there has to be a communication, you know, a knowledge of what you're talking about, a familiarity of the joke. You know, if you don't know the setup, you're not going to get the joke. You know, so you got to know some. So perspective. I've yeah, I, I've lived. A, I guess what I'm saying is I've lived a lot of different lives. But at、like、core, I'm a storyteller, and I've had all different kind of jobs as a performer. And 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 even when I was、uh, living in in、uh, my car, I was still performing on the stage. You know, I just parked the car somewhere.、Uh, it was a, it was a Volkswagen bus. You know, the classic.、Uh, I actually do know what it is. Yeah, cream one. Van yeah. Van?、Uh, yeah. Okay. It was it was hollowed out. There was no nothing inside. It was like a two, maybe two front seats or even just one. Not even no. There was only one seat. It was very oh wow very shaky. If you rode with me, you sat on a on a. Uh, a, a milk bottle crate. I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the back was all empty, like a, like a delivery van. There was no seats, no no upholstery. It was all metal. It was just bare. I bought it for five dollars, so you know how, how the van you bought for five dollars. Oh, for five from a friend who was going to give it to charity. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I, I, you know, I'm homeless. You know, I would, I just got evicted, is what I said. So、yeah. they got evicted, man. So you know, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. He says, for you, all right, give me five bucks. Okay, you, you know, give me. <laughs> so I lived in it for for a,、uh, a year, and that's、uh, taught me a, a lot, you know. And I also wanted to know. It became a challenge. I also, I also like. Well, I, I like challenges that I like, and I like that one. I said, 
can I do this? Can I live in this thing? I mean, I'm homeless, but it would sure cut a lot of, you know, slack about budget and paying rent, man. Yeah, in the back of my head, I'm just thinking uh, running water. Yeah, Toilet, Calif shower. California is warm. Yeah. Oh, oh well, that, no, okay. So, so that would be like... Yeah, so here's the problems you have to solve. And a lot of them are internal, a lot of them are external. You have to call a friend, can I take a shower at your house? So you have different houses that you can, you don't do it too many times in one place. You don't do, you don't do it twice in the Spread same... Spread yourself out between four or five friends that you're not always on top of Sleep them. on your couch for a night. Um, uh, one of the reasons that I bought the van was when I was couch surfing until I got the van, which was only a week or two. Uh, but you you hear the conversations of, if it was a single guy or two two guys, I could sleep on their couch, that was fine. But if it was a guy and a girl or married or you know a couple, boy and a girl, um, you, you could hear them, it, it, it wasn't cool. You know, you yeah. whispering in the kitchen. Where's he leaving? He's still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, said, you said it, God. You already said that yesterday. Hey, Larry. <laughs> Larry, we were just talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point, like, what is... Okay, so we have this, Larry. Like, at what point does it start happening? I mean, I, I, I was watching TV just the other night in my uh, fiancé's house with her dad. And um, uh, Escape from Alcatraz came on. And her, her, her father said, where do I know the lanky lad from? Went, <laughs> the lanky lad. The lanky <laughs> lad, yeah. He goes, the lanky lad. The and you were a painter. You were, you were, that was how you were covering. That's the name of your book. No, no, no. That was the, that was the, <laughs> that was the old guy, Robert Bronson. But I had his paint paints that I passed on. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And he was like, where do I know him from? And I was like, you know, Billy Madison, part and home alone, blah, blah, blah. You probably know him as. Mr. Heckles or whatever from, but he was, oh yeah, you know, like that was it. But I, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, and I was trying to like impress him, with like you know, I've actually been emailing this guy. He couldn't give a shit, you know. He was just like, just the past. But I, we watched this, and it was just so, and I'm, I'm thinking about it in my head because you're telling me about this, these vans and these early days of, of you know, cleaning a bar late at night, and I'm, I'm thinking right, oh, he, he does know that he was in a film with um, Clint Eastwood, <laughs> right? Like well, he, that was he does, the first film I ever did. Really? Because you were so good at it. First, and I did films, you know, low, really low budget, like porno films up in San Francisco. <laughs> nice. And not as a pornographic person, but as a comic lead. So I was dressed all the time and being funny in a pornographic movie, which doesn't work, by the way. Nobody came to laugh at a pornographic movie. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. They don't want to do it. They boo, they boo, they throw uh, 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 the screen, you know. Ah, come on, get on, get, get naked, get naked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but but so break uh, Escape from Alcatraz was the first real and it was a tentpole movie i was there for three months on alcatraz it was just blowing my mind so that started my career but that was in 19 oh wow 79 i think that seemed i was about to say because you know i i had to look up the imb and it was like when is it It was late 70s like very very late 70s 79, 79 yeah right. uh what was it so, like to shoot on alcatraz with well, it, was, it was amazing. I was there for three months. It was an, an education in itself about making movies. And I uh, became friends with Clint Eastwood. He recommended me for another movie, Rat Boy. I, I did that on his recommendation, Clint's recommendation. Because uh, his, his girlfriend at the time was directing that, Clint's girlfriend. So I did 
that. Uh, and then Don Siegel, who directed Escape from Alcatraz, we became friends on that. And that's why the, the, my part is so big in Escape from Alcatraz, because hmm. me and Don Siegel got along great. We, we were like grandfather and, and grandson. I mean, he was just... Uh, and he uh, he would put me in scenes, you know, Hankin. I, I would always go, you know, the, the the costume was just a blue shirt, you know, the blue shirt and the blue jeans. And uh, I guess black shoes, I don't remember. But it was a very simple costume. So I went every day for three months. I went every day, even though I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't shooting every day. But I just wanted to be there because it was Alcatraz. So if I wasn't watching a movie, I was watching Alcatraz and exploring and going where the Indians were, you know, back in the 60s. And so it was really great. And I became friends with him. So years later, we were having dinner, me and uh, uh, Don Siegel. And uh, he said, what are you doing now? So I said, oh, I just wrote a screenplay, you know, in my spare time. Because there's a lot of time between gigs in, in, in movies, you know. Especially if you're on set. There, obviously, there's a lot of downtime. A lot of downtime. So you gotta you gotta figure about that. You know, a lot of it you're auditioning, but a lot of different is, you know, you can just write. So I wrote a screenplay. So he said, you know, what is it about? I said, well, it was about. Uh, it was called uh, the Outlaw Amadeus. It was about this old guy who was like Don Quixote on a motorcycle. He was like an old guy on a motorcycle, a little crazy, quirky. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he was interested. He said, can I read it? I go, yeah, yeah, sure. So I gave it to him and he said, hey, I want to direct this. Uh, you want to do that part? And this was, you know, years later, my hair was kind of salty. Well, almost great. It was almost great. So he said, you could do that now. Because I wrote it for years later. In other words, I wrote it and was thinking ahead, you know, write stuff that you can do when you're old and they're going to make you do a sitcom dad. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to do that. I couldn't picture Larry Hankin in 13 Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter or something like that. Uh, yeah, but but that's what turned me on, the fear of being a sitcom dad. 15 <laughs> years ago, I thought, I'm watching television. I see all these movie stars, male movie stars, being sitcom dads. And I go, oh, my God. I don't so Matt LeBlanc. Your, your former co-star, he was, I, I don't know, mistyped. I can't even think of the name of the show. Matt LeBlanc um, from Friends. He ended, that, that was Last Man Standing or something like that. It was oh, called. Yeah, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, him. But uh, what was the other guy? Um, uh, there was John name. Ritter was oh, another uh, one. Uh, he, he's Rest a guy who reverse, and that was really great. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian uh, Cranston. He was oh. a sitcom dad, and he became yeah. a star. He did yeah. it the opposite. He said, screw you. Well, he yeah. was phenomenal in Malcolm in the Middle. Like he, he, he had ace, whatever that X factor actor, was. Right? Great actor. Yeah, and when yeah. you were playing old Joe, um, yes. it was you, you didn't have an awful lot of unseen like time ultimately. But mm. you were you were very you were actually a big part of the story. You end up crushing the Met Lab and all that kind of stuff. Uh, all happened on your watch. But what was it like being on set with Brian Cranston? Was he another? Because I'm I'm delighted to hear that you and Clint Eastwood got on right because you know he's such. Well, a... I just just uh, and uh, the uh, uh, Don Siegel on that dinner when he after he read the screenplay, he wanted to direct it and he wanted me to be the lead, and I said yes, and he started to work on it and then he died. Yeah. 
You know, so it's a big shot. But, but that that was what came of, uh, you know, Escape from Alcatraz. As far as what uh, Brian Cranston, he was a great actor. He's very, uh, he he was a great actor in um, in the best sense of that he was very giving. In other words, he, he was very... You mean sharp. as a scene partner or as just a person? As a scene partner, exactly. He, he wouldn't try to take... Well, the, the the two things I learned from both those guys. Well, I learned most of the stuff that I ever learned, like going to school to be an actor, was from the stars I worked with, and that's why I like to work with the stars. I mean, being a, in a scene with a star, you learn much more than going to class. Mm. Way more. Just in one. Even, yeah, even on ground level, everything says practical. Clint Eastwood, I I learned um, that you. You ride on the energy of the given. That's what I learned from Clint Eastwood. In other words, when I was acting with Clint Eastwood, I would come with energy, you know, for my for my character. I mean, just normal. Everybody, you know, you come on stage and you are going to act. Whatever mm -hmm. that acting energy for uh, for my character, he would feed off of that. He brings no energy. He brings nothing to the scene. Uh, I, I, well, that's a wrong, that I, I said that wrong. He obviously brings his character to the scene. What I sensed was that in the scene, he's not giving me anything. He is riding on my energy. Okay, so that, like a cork. I remember thinking, this guy is a cork. No matter how or what I do in this scene, Clint Eastwood acting, Clint Eastwood's energy acting would just go like that. And I said, wow, man, that's a great thing to take away. Mm. Stop using your energy. Use what's given. Use the scene. Use everything. Use that and ride right. that. Use what the other people are giving you. What are they saying to you? Ride on that. Ride on that. And then they'll ride on what you said, and then you ride on that. So that's the first thing. What Cranston showed me was sharing. He would make you better. He would give you the scene. He would, you know, go ahead, you know, trip out, Hank, and go ahead, go, you know. And then he would just be his character, and he would just be, he would just be real, man. So, so you could... You could deal with him real, like like you know, half yourself and half the character. You could, and he you, would accept it and give it to you back. So that was. Do you think he was more given in that sense because of his comedic background? He used to be working probably in uh, co uh, comedy troops and stuff like that, working in an ensemble. That he's uh, so when it or not being the scene, central role. In yeah, these, exactly. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. so when it comes to a scene, he's like, "You be you." I'll be me and we'll be a little bit of the characters and we can meet in the middle and then that creates that kind of more natural chemistry is something that is so important in comedy. Um, <clears throat> I, I think that once you become a professional, um, which means you, you've acted a lot, you know, you've yeah. earned yeah. Your, your profession. Earned your wings you or whatever. Your, you develop your own acting school. And I have never met any really good actor where I said, wow, I'm, I'm going to be working with this guy. And then it could be stars. They could be extras. They could be anybody who knows what they're doing. That's all. Uh, they're all different. 
they they all somehow they all bring something else and it, so there's no school i mean in the old days you know stanislavski yeah yes mm-hmm. for for what they were doing or like uh commedia dell'arte or even going back to uh greek theater i mean you know greek theater you had a mask so they couldn't mm-hmm. see you and second of all the voice was a megaphone so there was a megaphone in the mask all masks had a megaphone because you know it was no, no microphones so used to so there was no there was one school talk louder that was <laughs> that was the school hit the backboard i did that and you understood that and i've worked in costumes and watched people work in costumes and watch um uh watch people put on the costume and then do the same thing and it's amazing what a what a mask will do your your psyche your brain is trained to read what it's given not what you think so if if uh, any of you two guys put on angry masks but did the, the the interview exactly like you were doing it i would be talking to you as if you were angry at me that's yeah. it was like yes i i would that's actually that, a reading i, I, I love that sorry it sounds overtly simplistic but that's that's a good point isn't it you instantly that the brain is just wired that way isn't it the for facial yeah. cues the, the little babies the, yeah know, facial cues them, if you want to really back. simplify it angry at them they get they cry they get afraid mm. it's it's trained that's trained so every actor you can tell they you work off what what's given what's given and yeah. each actor gives you something you can read or understand oh this is a cork this is a giver this is a sharer this is a this this is a that but in each one of those labeled things is a unique individual who's acting his own way and he got there if you if you if you question a professional actor as to you know what how did you do that you know what was your what was the internal what was your intention yeah that's it and they'll give you all different reasons well i was thinking of buster keaton well i was thinking of he's afraid of his father well i was thinking uh that i had uh a malted tomorrow you know this morning and that's what he had I, you know wh- whatever it was and so there's three declinations there's the schooling uh, there's what this guy does and then there's what each individual does that's not like anybody else's so what you do is you just it's like improv you know you just listen listen that's the best thing anybody could ever tell an actor listen and react right. there is no acting oh okay there you go there is no acting there is only listening and reacting there you go you don't have to go to acting school anymore you guys are now ready <laughs> yeah, you know we're good to go actually just with one thing i think i just learned from that if i was if i had to and i will be talking to people about this because i'm going to dine out on this whole interview for a little while but i was thinking uh obviously you can learn the script you can get into your own character but if you if a brian cranston comes at you versus if an eastwood comes at you versus if a jennifer lawrence a meryl streep a daniel Lelu, i don't care up upwards downwards the echelons if you can react in real time like that that thing that you can't bank on what energy is going to be brought to you right and you can you can, instead of like oh sorry cut wasn't expecting that that was a little intense i don't feel comfortable instead of like going there's a, obviously there's a part of your brain that goes wow okay he's coming in hot and then you react to that in real time i think that's where 
the magic actually can happen that that x factor that thing you actually can't plan on right uh, there's a, one rule in improvisation which is uh i i think useful for all acting and that is don't plot the other actor doesn't know what you're thinking you can't read your mind and be acting at the same time so just react don't act acting means i'm going to do this when he does that yes oh what if he doesn't yeah 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 that's it that's it <laughs> you know it's like almost like reading a book and you're painting it in your head and that's fine but you actually have to go out and make this live action and that, that there there are factors there that you obviously do not know um, you know and, yeah i mean even in my writing my book i i noticed this, this is really cool i'm writing lanky a- lad name of his book in fact it's gone down <laughs> the record well we don't know <laughs> the, the the name of it but when i I've, I've written the whole book now i'm sort of just like tweaking that so i go from uh when I was in in college, all the way to to about four years ago, that that's okay. So I have got it down, you know, 1960, 70, 80, 90, 200. Okay, so now I'm reading it. So now I'm reading in the 60s, and I go, "Wow, man, I didn't know in the 60s that in the 80s I'd be doing this." Mm-hmm. So I can go back to the 60s in my book and change in my book something that will set up the 80s just a little better <laughs> yes right yes Retro- retroactively well, changes. that's writing a book after the book is finished but if you go there's a script and you know at the end this is going to happen but the and i go yeah but if i change this in my character I can influence what happens over there. But the yeah. other actor doesn't know that. He's still going for that because you're here. I've changed in my book, I've changed here. But in, in acting, don't change here. That's plotting. That's going, yeah, I, it's going to go this way. You can't yeah. do that. You got to be real time. Exactly. Yeah. And so no no plotting. Don't, it's you come in uh, like almost like a blank slate in a way you know just uh, react to what's given you know where the scene takes you or or where the scene takes you and it becomes much much richer exactly where the magic happens i even write about that in the book the magic actually happens when I found it, when you are writing that sometimes even if you do plot out your, your outline or your story, that the scene will lead you in different places. Like if you're yeah, writing right. dialogue, because like playing chess against yourself, you're like, you, you come up with a line of dialogue and you're like, how would that person react? And then what there's would that a, cause a chain reaction, you know? Yeah, there's a, a rule in writing about, you know, writing is rewriting. That's a rule. <laughs> I found it's true. But also they say, you know, when you have to cut a scene down, like like say the script has to be, 90 pages and you have 95 pages you know you got to get rid of five pages and then (laughs) if you just go into it like that it's very hard you know you know what should i cut should i cut this page and that page what does it affect if i cut something right yeah what's lost what's lost but here's the the trick there's also a, a, a trick rule and the trick is just take a scene any i've done this Take a scene, mark it in half. Okay, this is where the half of the scene is, and just lose the front half. That's all. And and just uh, speed up the pacing. 
You speed up the pace. You've got what the scene is about because you got the end. Yeah, you get the most important stuff. And and right. And the 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 beginning was you're trying to find where the scene is going to lead you. Oh, it's going to lead me here. Yeah. There. Get rid of this. And then what you do is you maybe save the first two lines, which sets up what the scene is going to be about. So yeah. Cut out that. But that's how you make cut out five pages really simple. Now I did it. They said the beginning, the first, I think it was 15 pages. The first 15 pages are too long uh, to get into the story. You got to cut, it's just, you know, make it five pages, you know, just the beginning. So what I did was, you know, listening to this, and I just did it by rote, man. I just cut every scene in half and then just took the first couple of lines to make sure that you know that the, the first couple of lines should set up where this yeah. is going. And I did, and I just did that, and I just slapped it right in, and then I read it, and I go, it pretty much worked. I mean, a, a yeah. little tweaking, but it, wow! I mean, holy cow! So that's like funny. Two rules, man. That, you know, you, it's funny that you say it's not exactly how Vinnie word, but Vinnie wrote a book that I can shamelessly plug called River of Bones. So that's, <laughs> that's cheesy coming from me. Uh, I, I read a couple of drafts. And he gave me one, and it, I, I read it, I read it, and then he gave me a new one, and it was leaner. But I don't know mm. what he had taken out. As mm. in, the story was the same to me, the reader. Um, I, I, like he, I was like, oh, I stripped this way, and stripped this way. And I said, no, I didn't notice any of that, because I didn't think any character was stripped back. So I do think the first time, you you probably do try and attach a lot of meat to it. But for yeah, the reader, yeah, but- we just like a story to be nice and straight and linear. It's- because at the in the beginning you don't know your conclusion, so you have to create a roadmap to get there. But eventually, when you go back over it retroactively, you you can say, okay, I know the setup and I know where I want to be. So okay, now I can decide what stays and what goes and what's important to bring me from the setup to the conclusion. You know, and that's how you trim it down. Um, one of the things um, I use also uh, is something that uh, uh, Michelangelo said. <laughs> me once in a coffee house uh, Michelangelo the turtle uh, uh, wrote uh, <laughs> you know somebody had asked him you know how do you because I I've seen some of his stuff up close you know when I went to Italy I saw the Pieta I saw the Moses I saw, and they're mind-blowing they really are mind-blowing I mean some people just they're humans but they're beyond human oh yeah no like- how do you there's no way a human being could have made that. There's no way. So somebody had asked him, you know, how do you do that? Uh, so I, obviously to Michelangelo, it seems very simple. What he said was, well, I, first of all, he's working with Chiara Marble, which is like the best marble in, in the, on earth, probably in the universe. So he's working with that. So, and what he does is, this is amazing. When he goes to, he goes to the Chiara Mountains, where the Caramarabla is, and he'll look at chunks. You know, they're carving it out. I mean, those mountains are being mined for marble for sculptors to this day. They just cut out blocks, you know, different shaped blocks, you know, mm. and then send them down. It's just square blocks. So he would go up there. He was one of the only guys who would go up there and he would look at what they were carving out or what what the what the marble was in the mountain, how it would be shaped, like the um, what do you call it, the the, the grain how the grain was going like this yeah and that's what he said about uh, the star uh, statue of david so this is the hint he saw that they were cutting out a piece of marble that was in uh, unsculptable the grain was just too quirky 
<laughs> quirky. There was no way, you know, because if you cut this, you can't work with quirky. It's too quirky. Would break. So he looked at this and he studied it for a long time and he said, "I want that one." So he said, "Yeah, but it's you can't sculpt it. The grain is, it doesn't go straight. The grain curves. It, you can't carve it." He said, "I can carve it." So they sent it down. What he got out of it was uh, the statue of David, and he explained what he saw. He said what he saw in the grain was the grain went like that. He said that's his arm. He said yeah, if you notice, one of his hands are very weird. They're 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 like this, mm. not like this. It's like this. He said that's the other grain. So he saw what the stone was giving him. And he saw, he imagined David in there. I can see him. He's got the thing like that, and his hand is like that. So you go. So he said, "Well, what? So what? What can I take away?" He he said, "I don't carve David. I free David from the stone. Yeah, I carve see, that's a that's another everything level. Everything that's not David. Yeah, that's what you do with a long screenplay when you edit." Mm. You throw away everything that's not the story. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the chaff. You just find all the chaff. Yeah. That's what I use when I have to edit this book, which I'm doing now. I read the book and I go, ah, this doesn't go where the story's going or what I need or what I want to throw it out. So that's how you can identify it. And if not, just cut each scene in half, throw away the beginning, save the first couple of lines, and. Boom, boom, boom. Then if it's yeah. too long, you know, whatever. You know, there's like I, I like, and that's what I like about learning, jumping into the woods. And there's two ways to get out of the woods. Uh, there's a puzzle. Okay, you can either take a helicopter in, will drop you in the middle of the jungle, and you have to walk out. Or you can walk into the middle, and we'll take a hell. We'll get a helicopter, take you out. Which would you prefer? No, that's and it's a thinker as well because there isn't there well, isn't an ideal you, answer. That's all. It's start hard, finish easy, finish easy, start hard. I exactly, don't know. that's yeah. all it is. And so that's that's kind of the measure I use. You know, well, how do I want to get into this, and how do I want to get out? Do I want to do a lot of hard work and research in the beginning, or do I want to do a lot of cutting and editing at the end? You know, do I want to do a roadmap and then write it too long, or do I want to? Just keep seeing where it goes and 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 edit. You know, blah blah. I got you. All right, cool. So, uh, Larry, you ran through all the different kind of facets of your career up to this point, and um, like uh, one thing we kind of want to uh, finish it up on is that what you're up to now. Like you mentioned, your painting, and you spoke to us about your website and uh, the t-shirts and stuff and all this. Like, and what, uh, have you always had a long held passion for art? Have you been doing it for long? Um, what got you into painting, and has it grown? alongside your performance roles or was it something that you've always kind of had a kind of talent for? Well, uh, my art, I've, I've always wanted to be a painter. That, that I mean, that was like Gene Hackman, I mean, a, fi a fine <laughs> art painter. And these are, these are my paintings up here and they're also on uh, t-shirts, but my parents would not countenance any of that riffraff <laughs> stuff, that ridiculous, that quirky stuff. So, um, I dropped it. I, I just, you know, it, it, I didn't think about it anymore. Um, I went to college, like I say, 
uh, Syracuse University. I wanted to be an artist. They wanted me to be a professional to take care of them in their old age. You know, like they want to be a lawyer or a doctor. And I didn't want to be either. What? So, Jewish parents don't want their kid to be a lawyer or a doctor. I won't, I won't hear of it. To take care of them in their old age. The only I get things that, yeah. that, that, that immigrants worry about, they're immigrants. My, 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 not my parents, but my grandparents. And it just passed on. That um, the immigrants worry about the law and about old age in a new country. I mean, in the old country... There are there are things for old people to do, you know, take care of the children and and uh, uh, their wisdom. They, they there's not many people who read, so they're found their dictionaries, their their uh, books of knowledge. They they have things that they know. They know how to cure diseases. They are the doctors sometimes. Yeah. So uh, that's where it came from, and I just didn't want to do it. So they said you can pick you can pick your college, but you have to go to college. So I picked Syracuse University because I saw industrial design and the word design. That's Syracuse, New York, is it? What? Syracuse, New York, is it? So Syracuse, New York, yeah, upstate uh, upstate New York. Uh, so th that so when I got there, it was industrial design, and that's all math and calculus and all that stuff. So that went out the window. So I started hanging around the drama department because those were my people. Those those had those same kind of worldview and mindset. So I just hung around the and I I did a you know one or two little things in the theater because my best friend was Carl Gottlieb who wrote Jaws and he was in the theater department. I mean that's where his school was. So I hung around with him and when he was in a play I'd go to see him and sometimes say hey there's a little part you want to do it yeah okay. So that's how I kind of got into show business, but not really. I mean, I didn't pay any attention to that. that was it just doesn't sound like there was an explosive moment. But like to go back to the art, it feels like after talking to you for the last hour, that art seems to have been sandwiched into your life, as in, as a young man, it's what you wanted. And perhaps your parents uh, recognized your, 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 your acumen and your intelligence more than your creativity exactly. somewhat. And now it wasn't what you cared about. And then you have this middle stage, and don't get me wrong, it's storied and it's awesome and it's brilliant. But at the same time, maybe it, it wasn't like what you would have ideally been doing. And now, um, now in, in in the years of your life where you just get to do what you want to do because you have a bit of comfort, it's back to art. But it looks so, like your career is somehow sandwiched in between art. So the art is the bread of his career sandwich. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's. What, what, what <laughs> so let me let me uh, tweak that a little. I mean, go ahead. Much you're you're right on. I know. I'm pretty sure I I've summed up your life perfectly. But I suppose, <laughs> I, I suppose you can have some input, Larry. <laughs> Excellent yeah. bread analogy. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you got it. I mean, I you got, got it. Like, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> um, but well. There's, there's two things that I've discovered writing the book and doing these interviews and stuff and listening to you guys is that there's there's two there's two tracks maybe two rails of one track it's the, the yes the art you, you got that part but here's the other thing that I just beginning to realize nowadays is my mother used to listen to me when I came home from school you know like you know how was your day she would ask me, how was your day? And I would tell her, you know, at school, you know, from kindergarten all the way through high school, how was your day, you know? And I would tell her, and she'd be very interested. So 
I was drawing when I go to school, I was wasting my time sitting in the back with a guy named Stuart and we were just drawing cartoons all day. I mean, <laughs> we didn't know what the hell was going on up in the front with the teacher, but we were just passing, you know, cartoons back and forth and drawing and stuff like. So there was the cartooning and the art, but there was also the storytelling which people liked, you know, and then when I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, the difference between being on stage and being a funniest guy in high school for two years was that I didn't realize it, but I wasn't telling jokes. I was telling stories that were really funny to my high school friends. So that's why it was difficult for me to be a stand-up comedian at first, but I had the sensibility of funny, of timing and stuff like that. So, um, the two tracks are art and storytelling. That's what really the subtext of everything I've ever done really is underneath it. I'm a storyteller and I'm an artist and I can do other things pretty well, like acting. But no, I can't, I'm not an actor, really. I mean, at the base of it, you know, yeah, Beyonce's, you know, father-in-law, whoever it was, said, yeah, hey, who's the tall, tall guy? Whatever he said, yeah. lanky. He said it was lanky really good, and then I was, was in, that lanky oh, lad. Is my is my fiance's father? Fiance's father. What do you call me? A tall, tall lad. Lanky lad. The lanky lad. Lanky yeah, lad. But, but I also, you know, was old Joe, and you love that. But have you ever seen a movie, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, with yeah, uh, Brad, Pitt. Brad, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie? Okay. Well, there's a scene or scene in the movie where they're fighting. They're in a house and they're fighting and they're shooting at one another. They're enemies. They're fighting and shooting at one another and grappling, grappling with each other and yeah. punching and talking, doing lines and fighting and running and hiding. I can't do that. <laughs> that to me is acting. I, yeah. I can't. That's way too complex. For me to even bother the actual just the, the amount of facets yeah the facets and play at the same time that dyslexia is just i mean even when i saw it i just said whoa that's acting i mean in in that you have to do that and then i watch you know other actors do other things you know now and i watch them and i go no i could never do that even when i had a memory you know back when i was a kid i could memorize you know a lot but still it was difficult but now i, I said no that's not and it, and it's not what i want to do even if I could do it, it's it's not my dream. I never dreamed of being an actor, ever. It just wasn't didn't draw me to it. Funny draws me to it, and and colors draw me to it, and line draws me to it. Has acting facilitated your life? Excuse me. Has has acting and facilitated your life? As in your passions acting, and acting stuff, you've what, been able to. Rent. Yeah. So, like you said, you got. Put food in my mouth and made and and made all my film shorts that, because the money. You're not you're not about to be kicked out of apartment. You're not about to you're not about to lose your car and you have food in your fridge and that's all great because you're again you're not a materialistic person. But that that much of your life is kind of taken care of at the minute through these faculties. But your passions and like it's somebody on the outside somebody like me who's known of you billy madison home alone who's who's known like like mr heckles had gone back 30 years but like i would always have thought of you as an actor but that's probably not strictly true these were right because i don't myself as an actor yeah 
But well, yeah, they were always very comfortable. They were always very comfortable in front of a camera. They, they never. They never I've always done. I've, I've never been married, <laughs> and I've always done what I wanted to do. And if I found myself doing something that I didn't want to do, I just leave. So do you think? I, again, poverty does not. I have no fear of poverty. It's not a factor in my life of make. It's not a factor in my life choices. So, you know, if so, I want, if I want to be a painter, bad enough. I'm willing to be. I'm willing to starve for it. So, Larry, before we let you out here, would you say the freedom of your everyday life is what probably enhanced your freedom in your ability to perform the roles you've taken throughout your career? Yeah. Yes, and it also made me um, uh, able to handle my dyslexia. In other words, more time. whenever I saw dyslexia starting to set in, where this is getting harder and harder, and it's not because I don't have the ability. I have the ability. I have the intelligence. It's the short-term memory is making this very difficult, so I will leave. <laughs> Exit stage left. Uh, I, by the way, I, I brought the, the T-shirts. I just got to show you the T-shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. That's awesome. what I was hoping yeah. you were... I thought you might have been wearing one when you came back. Okay, we're ready to go. It was okay, like, okay, so here's, here's <laughs> one that you haven't seen. This is a T-shirt. This is a T-shirt. Oh, that's incredible! Did you draw that? Okay, so that's one. Okay, Larry Hankin T-shirt design, black T-shirt with an elephant on front for our audio audience. It's a very beautiful. Here's the one that you liked. Okay, here's the one that you. I'm kind of taking in the other one. You were, I think you were seated slightly too. Your what? Oh, that's oh, that's yeah, awesome. I love that. That's I cool. love that. I genuinely do love that. They're Twelve bucks, I think, or fourteen bucks. Now here's one that's really old. This is one of the first. This is over two years old. It's been washed a lot. I wear it a lot. It's like just a you know a hangout T-shirt, but it's the same. But it's just white on on. Oh, I like cool. I love that. Do you mind, I mean, the, the other the other painting which I'm just taking in now. Who is that? Who am I looking at a profile of? On the face. Just it's just my 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 feelings about authority. It's authority. Shut up. Fuck you. So you made that? It's <laughs> actually based on anyone that you just kind of made that that uh, that that image from. No, it's just an image from my from what I think authority looks like. You know, that's uh, yeah, me too. I mean, it could be. Except I don't have an artistic form in my body. It could be, it could yeah. somebody, but it's it's not really. I mean, it's just I drew it and I threw threw paint at it. Please, <laughs> Larry, I cannot. I can't. I tell you, I cannot thank you enough for coming here and spending this time with us. Oh, like, it's oh, great. You guys are great. By the way, you, you would guys do are really sharp. That. You're really on it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I I really respect Ireland well, a lot more since I did this interview. Oh, thank you. Look, Larry, I'd hope maybe at some stage down the road, if you again, you were it was such a gift for you to spend some time with us. If you'd ever consider doing it again, we would be. Of course, yeah, when the book comes out. Book. When the book comes out, we can talk about. Oh God! Book. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the book that's definitely going to be called Lanky Lad. It's, uh, it's official. It's official. It's on record. It's on record. He's agreed. Have you agreed to the recording. All right, so Larry, we're going to let you go out here. Sorry, this is uh, MDK presents Larry Hankin. I'm your host Vincent Green. I'm your host Noel John Tui, and he got Car Lanky Lad. Uh, we got the real Larry Hankin dot com. And yes. Uh, and sorry, find all and his stuff at TheRealLarryHankin.com. Thank you so much, Larry, as well. Coming. Sorry, it's The Real Larry Hankin and the T-shirts. If I wanted to buy a T-shirt. Because I'm going to buy one of those. I'm and the, the website. I could do Everything. for time. 
<laughs> next time from. Larry comes on all of Noel's background is just t-shirts yeah, and paintings exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the museum I could have Larry, Larry Hanka t-shirts uh, thank you so much Larry appreciate it see you next time take care